John chapter 1 and the first three verses there in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we're looking at the, we're spending a little time, like I said, looking at the Apostles' Creed. How many of you remember the Apostles' Creed? And um, how many of you are, yep, I I see a few hands. How How many of you can remember when you had to stand up and you had to recite the Apostles' Creed? Can anyone remember that? Yeah, and, and you had to remember it off by heart? And then you'd forget a line or something. And I think in my church we had to do another creed as well and I totally couldn't get that one. So the Nicene Creed. And there's a few creeds there. Um, so you might remember the Apostles' Creed. Um, and we've titled this sermon series, I Believe, because basically that's what the Apostles' Creed says. It basically says, this is what I believe. When you get up and when you, or when you read it or when you get up and declare the Apostles' Creed. And by the way, before I start, I made a boo-boo. It's my mistake. But we have Phil's, yes, Phil's done an amazing job making little cards. So you have the Apostles' Creed on a card. So maybe just share them around while I get started here. Um, they're kind of not wallet size. <laughs> Unless you've got a wallet like some of my wife and some of the ladies here, they're not wallet size. But um, I don't know, there's, you know, put them on the fridge or put them in your car or put it somewhere. But like I said last week, we encourage you to, to have a look at it and read it. So basically, the, we titled it I Believe because that's what the Apostles' Creed says. It says, I believe. It begins with, I believe. And it, it says that a few times. Um, it's a succinct, if you like, expression of the foundations of biblical belief Um, and it's solidly centered on the word so the first thing you might think and and some of you might know what this is but what is a creed you know we we bandy that word about what's a creed the creed a creed or creed the word comes from the latin word credo 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 whichever way you want to say it which literally translated means i believe uh, some translators, some of the translators of the original would, in the original Latin, would say it means I believe and I trust. But basically, most of the word credo is translated literally I believe. The dictionary says this. I had a look at a couple of dictionary um, uh, definitions. A set of fundamental beliefs or a brief authoritative formula of religious beliefs. So it doesn't, a creed doesn't have to be religious, but in our case it is. And one more, a set of beliefs or aims which guide someone's actions. Keep that in mind because that's important. A set of beliefs or aims that guide someone's actions. And we also know the, know the creed as a confession. We often get those words, we, we confess a creed. It's a confession, it's a statement. I believe this, so it determines my next and my future steps. I will live consistently with what I say. That's what a creed is. Creeds were popular way back. When all these creeds were written, and you'll have a look at the dates of some of these creeds, and there's a bunch of them, I did a bit of research. Creeds were really popular way back. There were family creeds. You know, a family might have a creed. You've heard of family coats of arms, haven't you? Well, families often had creeds in history as well, a bit of a family creed. 
Um, there were national creeds or cultural national creeds, creeds that were said when you were part of that nation or as in the military or just a citizen of that nation. There were national creeds. There were war creeds. And I looked up a few of the war creeds. They're rippers. You know, I will smash the end of my... You know, it goes on and on. So those who love that sort of stuff. There were war creeds. Um, and basically, I believe this and so I will do that. There were secret society creeds creeds as well. We might not use the word creed now, but we have them. We have creeds. Think about it. Think about advertising. Think how advertising is increasingly using value statements to sell its product or to sell a service. We think this and this is who we are, so we should. That's how advertising works. Or, or things that they say, this is the basis of our nation, this is what we'll do, or my government will. How many of you have heard Mike, uh, Scott Morrison or most people sort of say, my government will? That's basically a creed, isn't it? Churches have creeds. We just happen to get trendy and call them vision statements. These are things that reflect what we believe and so we will. And the assumption is that we will abide by and act by those things that we say in the creeds, isn't it? So a creed actually means something. When I was a kid with the Apostles' Creed, I just thought, oh no, we've got to get up and say this again. And we learned how to rattle it off quite easily. But a creed really means something because it attaches um, or it obliges you to something. When you say that, there's an obligation that goes with that. You know, one of the most important creeds you'll ever say, men, in your life is, I do. Isn't it? And there's a whole lot. And ladies, it's the same. And that's basically a creed, isn't it? <clears throat> so if that's a creed, let's have a look a little bit at the Apostles' Creed. We're doing a little bit of an intro about, about creeds before we rip into it, because I think it's important to understand that this isn't just something that's in the history of the church that we just belt out every now and then. A bit on the Apostles' Creed. As a specific creed. What is it? Why was it developed? Um, why is it so well known and used? And how is it used? Well, the Apostles' Creed is not called the Apostles' Creed because it was written by the Apostles. Some people believe that that's not true. Basically, it contains a summary of the apostolic teaching. It contains a summary of what the Apostles taught in the early years of the church and the early uh, understanding of the gospel and faith. Some scholars believe it dates into right back into the 2nd century. Most would say around about the 4th century it was actually established as an official creed. And it sums up the Christian faith with real clarity. It does it with economy. I like that. It doesn't spend a whole lot of time writing slabs of... It just does it with authority, with economy and efficiency. John Calvin said this, and I've got the, his statement up there. Well, it's a bit small, but I'll read it. Every way complete summary of faith containing nothing but what has been derived from the infallible word of God. He was completely sold on the Apostles' Creed. That was what John Calvin said. So in this sense, and he went on to say, in this sense, the creed defines what Christianity is and what it isn't. It creates that divide, doesn't it? It helps all. So why was it developed? Um, this is really important. Uh, and how was it used? The Apostles' Creed, like all creeds, was developed during an era. It was written as a direct response to heresy. There was pressure that came upon 
Christians and on the Christian world and the Christian movement. And the creed was developed as a direct response to heresy, to defend the gospel. It was meant to be apologetic in nature, apologetic being uh, something that comes up with an argument to defend a counter-argument, to articulate the essentials of faith against heresy that was coming in to the church and the movement. So you've got church... Um, and, and that happens nowadays as well, haven't you? You've got churches or you've got movements where different uh, bits of, let's call it heresy or things that actually don't fit, begin to creep in. So you've got to find a moment to redefine and to redefend who you are. And that's when the Apostles' Creed was developed. The immediate heresy that they were dealing with was Gnosticism. Gnosticism denied, amongst other things, they were denying divine creation, um, denying that Christ, salvation by faith in Christ, all these doctrines were being totally undone. And that's why they are so strongly affirmed in the Apostles' Creed. That's why the Apostles' Creed takes so much time to affirm them. Here's a few ways that they were used. It was used as a public statement of faith. It kind of standardised a way in which new people could confess their faith in Jesus. It anchored the Christian faith to a tradition to make it more difficult for people to be led away by strange doctrines. So it created an anchor. It tied itself to Christian tradition. It was a preaching and teaching tool, giving an outline for further discipleship and a way of teaching the basic beliefs to early church. A way of saying, if you join us, you're affirming this set of beliefs. This is what you believe. It was memorised through frequent reposition. Now I'm getting memories coming back which helped many believers who could not read. There's the difference. I could read. But basically, they went through the memorization process in those days for new believers because they couldn't read. And if they memorized this, they could articulate what they believed. They could articulate their faith. It provided a doctrinal basis for different churches to accept one another. Even way back then, there were issues between different denominations. And it helped them to reject those who didn't accept the basic truths. Think about things like sects and cults and things that don't like. What, how do you measure whether they work or don't work? It provided them a basis to understand who was in line with and who wasn't in line with the gospel. More than any other Christian creed, and there are many others, this one can be seen as an ecumenical symbol of faith. The Apostles' Creed is used in the Australian prayer book of the Anglican Church used in the Book of Worship for the Christian Reformed Churches, used in the Catholic Church Liturgy, used in the Lutheran Church, used in Moravians, Presbyterians, Baptists and more. It's such a critical creed, it's such a concise statement of faith and a set of beliefs that it's used in many mainstream churches. But it's man-written, and this is important, and we always need to be careful. It is not the Bible It's a man-made attempt to give a clear explanation of what faith is from the Bible. So even looking at the creed, and that's why we want to spend some time for the next little while looking at the creed, we're always looking in any creed or any statement, we're always looking for where it is anchored in the word, where it says it's anchored in the word and where what it says is actually anchored in the word. Because that's the only time you can boldly get up and say, I believe. Unless it's anchored in the word, we can't do that. So looking at the Apostles' Creed, 
how it starts. It starts with a big oomph, really key. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator, maker, some versions, of heaven and earth. That's how it starts. That's the first line, straight out of the gate. It bolts straight out of the gate with that. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That rolls off the tongue really easy, doesn't it? Um, You know, you don't walk into the local coffee shop and sort of say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in God the Father. But in church, it rolls off the tongue really easy, doesn't it? But what does it mean to say this? If you get up and recite the Apostles' Creed and you've got it on a card in front of you, what does it actually mean? I believe in God. See, I believe in God is a contentious statement these days, isn't it? If it doesn't elicit outright, outright ridicule, there is a kind of sense of derision, isn't there? Or people kind of look a little bit funny and say, oh, okay, you know. If it doesn't, like nowadays, there's outright ridicule that comes with it. But then there's some people that will say, well, okay, if you believe in God, that's fine. It's all okay. You know, I believe in God. I did, or think you're weak, or think you're needy. But they kind of accept it. So I believe in God kind of gets through the gate. It's getting harder, but it gets through the gate, doesn't it? However, if you say, I believe in God and I believe he is almighty, I believe he is the creator of heaven and earth, that gets a reaction. That gets a stronger reaction. It's okay to believe heaven almighty or something like that. Creator? Control the whole thing. You, you know, your God controls the whole. Th- you know, that's a little bit really weird. That's not so cool, is it? That's a bit different. So when we're using, when we confess that first line, when we say that, what are we actually confessing in this statement? What does it mean to believe in God, who created heaven and earth? And do we believe it? We can say it as a kid. I, start, I said it right from the start, but we can say, but do we believe it? And what are the implications if we do? What does it mean? Does it, you know, like, remember I said with a creed, I believe this and so I will now act in this way. So what are the implications if we believe it? Can I fully align myself with what I'm saying? So what am I saying? What are you saying when you recite that first line? Well, firstly, I believe he's God my Father. That's the first line, isn't it? I believe in God the Father. Father. I believe God is a true Father. I believe that He's a committed Father. I believe He's committed to us, to me. I believe He's a loving Father. I believe that He loves me and He's committed to loving me. I believe He's a providing Father. A good Father provides for His children. I believe that that's God, my Father. I believe that He's dependable. I believe my Father is dependable. Um, he's intimate. I believe he's emotional. I believe he's caring. I can trust him with me. You know, a little kid, I always have this picture when we talk about trusting God, of a a little kid that just jumps off the stairs into his father's arms. There is absolutely no doubt that dad's going to catch him. That's, That's a father. I believe in God, the father. He's committed, loving, providing, dependable, intimate, emotional, caring. All of a sudden, there's a whole lot in that word father. Do you believe that God is a father like that? Now let's look at what the word says. Remember I said we look at a creed and we see if the word backs that up. We've got some scriptures here. So provider, 
I believe God is our Father, provider. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6a, it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. He provides from whom are all things. Safe and secure. I believe God is my Father and he, he creates security. God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. There is nothing outside of God. Compassionate. A compassionate father, Psalm 103, well-known one, as a father shows compassion to his children, so just like that, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God is a compassionate father. He's lo- Another one we know off by heart, don't we? For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Now, when you give your only son, it's not just a gift. That is an absolutely generous gift, a magnanimous generous gift and a saving gift. So we know that God is a loving, saving and generous father. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 to 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's a lot of comfort in that verse, isn't there? But that's the intention. He's a father who brings us comfort so that we can comfort others with that same comfort. Direction and discipline, because fathers do that too, don't they? Fathers don't just do all the warm, mushy, mushy stuff. You know, maybe some fathers don't do a whole lot of that, but fathers also direct and give us discipline. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, My son... Do not despise the Lord reproves him who he loves, just like a father in the son who he delights. So when I say I believe in God the Father in the creed, is that true to the word? Can I find that back in the word? Yeah, we can, can't we? And remember, God is that loving Father. Then Almighty, have a look at Almighty. Almighty having complete and absolute power. You know, you go into, you talk to someone and say, I believe in God and I think he's almighty. I think he has complete and absolute power. You know, he can do anything he wants to do and you'll get the sideways look. But that's what almighty, having complete and absolute power, omnipotent in a dictionary. I believe that God is almighty. He has complete and absolute power. And this power enables him to be the creator of everything. Nothing that is made wasn't made by him. He is the creator, the maker, the designer and the sustainer of earth. But also heavens. Notice how it says the maker of heavens and earth. That's really important because um, we might think of heaven as, I don't know what your picture of heaven is, but whatever. When, when I was younger, the picture of heaven is kind of way up there that he, you know, he's the boss up there and he's the boss down here. That's the kind of... But basically what the original writers were saying, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Heavens was a Hebrew word for the universe. All they knew about the universe, every star, every planet, as far as they could see, and we can see further now, this was a statement saying he created all of that and knows all of that, everything that exists. And when you create something, you have the creative rights over it, don't you? You have power. So we're saying God has creative rights over us, over our life, over our world. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe he's almighty. 
I believe nothing happens without him and I believe that he's a creator and he has creative rights over everything. Does the word back this up? Let's have a look. A couple of slides on that one as well. God Almighty. Jeremiah 32 and Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 32, there's a couple of verses there. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I mean, imagine someone saying that. You say, what a boast. Is anything too hard? And there's nothing I can't do. Our Lord God, it's you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Immeasurable greatness, the Bible talks about. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. You can't measure it. He's eternal and supernatural in Romans chapter 1. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We're getting a picture of how almighty God is from the word. He's the greatest. 1 John 4 verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We love declaring that, don't we? But it's the truth that's in the word. God is the greatest. The enemy would love us to believe or to be tricked into thinking that he's greater, that he has power or that something else has power. But 1 John says, no, he's the greatest. He's beyond time. Revelation says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The God who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's completely able. Matthew chapter 19. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. All things. And he owns everything. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell herein. And then there's a couple on the Creator. A couple of... um, Verses on Creator. Nehemiah, you've made the heavens, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. You keep them all, and the host of heaven worships you. And in Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. In heaven, the rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Some people call that, that, that Colossians 1, 15 to 17, call it a creed almost. That was Paul's effort at a creed, if you like. And in Psalm 139, he created a I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret in your in your the days in your book were written every one of the in the book in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet none of them were so does the bible defend the fact that god is almighty and creator it does and we can see that we've gone to a lot of effort here because it's really important for us to see that this creed is anchored in the word you know francis was talking about anchors before It's really important to be anchored. The creed is anchored in the word. In our reading in Isaiah, it never will be, never and ever. This is ultimate power. There's no one else. There's nothing else in control of my life or the universe. Not even me. 
And this is where the Apostles' Creed starts to get personal. This first line gets personal. I believe in God, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. He's a father. He's the best father. He's almighty. Uh, he, can, he can do anything he wants. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He has creative rights over everything, and I am part of that. And so not even I am more powerful. And this is truth. This is our God. And it's evidenced again through word, uh, in the creation account, in many supernatural miracles we read of, in the nations we see him move amongst. He's a maker and a creator who knows how his creation works best. And we also get to see that through his word, we also get to see he doesn't just make it and create it and know how it works best. He's committed to his creation. He's committed to his creation, us and the world, being the way he intended it to be. He's committed to working so that his creation is the way that he intended it to be. Whether that's the material creation we see or whether that's you and I. And let's not forget that the word gives us the most loving and beautiful display of a father. Provides, is truly dependable and committed. And who loved and provided for us sacrificially, giving up his own son. And it was that act of generosity, that father act of generosity and love that enables us to stand up and still say, I believe in God, my father. Without that, we couldn't mighty. He is a creator. Okay, so what are the implications? I said, so what are the implications? Can I, you know, if I say I believe this, if I get up and make this confession, I think it changes everything. When you have a it changes everything. And we're just not aware of it. If he's my father, then I choose to trust him. There you go. Always. I trust his direction for my life. Are you feeling it? I tap into his wisdom and guidance for my life and situations. God, then Google. In my life, it's often Google, then God. Right? I believe the best about my father. You know, I'm one of those kids that boasts in the schoolyard about my father. I believe the best about my father. I believe that he knows best. I trust him to provide all I need to live. And I trust him to provide so much so that I can be generous as well. I accept his claim on my life because he's my father. I take on his name like we do as a kid. You take on this. I take on his name. I stand up and defend the family that he leads. I fight for the family. It matters to me the honour of the family. Those are big things, aren't they? Phew. So I see I'm going to need to see change in me, in my life. Because too often I trust my own judgment. I go to my own wisdom. I have my own direction where I think that I want to go. And if I'm honest, I'm suspicious at times of my father. Is he really? Does he really love me? Is he maybe punishing me now because... Have you ever been, have you ever been there? Is he not listening anymore? Doesn't he care? If I'm honest, I'm often suspicious of him. I, I don't choose to trust him. I try real hard to take care of myself. I make my own money. 
I make my own way. I'm, I'm securing or I'm insuring my future, which impacts my generosity. I want what he offers, but I don't like him owning me. I'm not always proud to bear or openly bear his name. I'm not always proud to openly defend the family on Facebook or in the cafe or with my mates or at work. What about you? If I say God is my father, those are the implications. He's the, he leads the family. He knows what's best for me. It's a bit confronting when you think about the Apostles' Creed like that, doesn't it? And if I say he's almighty and creator of all, then I'm going to choose to trust him with the big things, everything. From my career, my partner choice, my life choices, my business decisions, my social... I'm going to trust him with the big things, my, my partner... My, I'm going to trust him with the way the world's going because... Remember, he knows the world. He made it. He created it. I'm, I'm going to choose to trust him. I'm going to surrender my life to be used by him. And I'm going to believe that he can really do what he says he can do, even in my life. Because remember, there's nothing that I can't do. If I'm going to say he's almighty, then I'm going to have to live like he really is almighty. And I'm going to willingly jump on board then when he calls me. Oh, I see his creation, I see the nations and the cultures and I know that he created them and I know that he created them to bring glory to himself and so where they're not, I'm willing to be used to bring his glory to bear in lives that don't know him yet. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be the one. If I say that he's almighty, if I say that he's creator and maker, that's what I'm saying. So here too in my life there's some changes that I need to make. Some adjustments, because I don't always trust that he's almighty. Because I worry. I get fearful. I fall into anxiety. I get anxious. I need to make some changes. I sometimes think the world is out of control. And I even say that. You get in conversations and you say, gee, the world's out of control. It just rolls off the tongue. Go figure. The song we all know from kids says he's got the whole world in his hand. When did we forget that? He's almighty and he's creator. He, he knows it. He's got the world. He's got this. I don't always believe what he says he can do and is doing. And so I don't jump on board willingly. I don't know if I can trust him. What if? I can remember when we called into missions and, and I thought, well, gee, you know, what if? And, and I wanted God to send me an email or send me a message and say, well, if you do this, this is what's going to happen for you. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen like that. You step first. I'm not so good at that, are you? If I believe he really can do all that he says, I'll willingly jump on board. I don't always believe what he says. And I say that I do. I say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. And I get up the front here and preach. And I say, I believe that God is almighty. And I think he can do anything. And, and I pray like I do. And, and when push comes to shove... I don't do it so easy. There's a story that's an old, and you might have heard this story before. Have you ever heard of the, a guy called Blondin? Well, if you haven't, he was a, he was a guy that strung a, a, a cable across the Grand Canyon. 
and he rode a bike across that cable of, that, of the Grand Canyon. You know, and he would stand there before he go and he would say, I'm going to ride the bike across the Grand Canyon. Do you believe that I can do it? Oh, yes, we believe you can do it. And so he did it and they thought it was amazing. Got to the other end and said the same thing. I'm going to ride the bike back across the Grand Canyon. I'm guessing he didn't have tyres on the bike, guys. That's got to help a little, doesn't it? Anyway, and do you believe that I can do it? Yes, we believe. And he rode back and then he got to the first side and he said, you saw that I did it twice. Do you think I can do it again? Do you really believe I can do this? And they, yes, we believe. And he points to the guy at the front and he says, get on with me. <laughs> I don't always celebrate God as a creator and allow him to use me to show his glory to break. I don't know that I believe he's almighty and creator all the time. I've got work to do there. What about you? But ultimately, this, this the creed, it's not about us. It's about God. It's not about us getting this all right. This is about God. It's about him being glorified. It's about him being recognized and, and honored in our lives and through our lives in other people's. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. It's not just about me. It's about making God great. Speaking the truth and making him great. Remember the nations, when I talked about the nations last week, how, how God said, you know, I'm, I, I'll be glorified because people will see what I do in you and that will bring me glory. That's the same thing here. Like I said, the Apostles' Creed positively bolts out of the gate with the biggest statement of fact that we can make, the greatest pillar of our faith, and that's why it starts with that. I believe in God the, not a father, I believe in God, the Father, the best. I believe in God Almighty. There is none like him. There is no parallel, no greater or natural or supernatural power. I believe in God, the creator, the designer, the sustainer of heaven and the whole universe known and unknown and the whole earth right down to where I live. And I believe that he's the creator of me. Because if this first line isn't true, the whole rest doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. The rest of the Apostles' Creed doesn't matter. If that first line isn't true, it doesn't matter. But it is true and it's truly consistent with the word and we can see that. It truly, really reflects who our God is. And when we step up and we say that, this glorifies him in our lives. It glorifies him to us privately. We recognize again who God is, who I believe. And, and, and we might have to, like, like I've said this morning, we might have to realign ourselves with what, some of the things we're saying. Look at our life and saying, wow, that doesn't look like I'm trusting God for this. This is really me here. But also to the world around us. It glorifies him to the world around us. And if we can say this with conviction, if we can say this like we believe it, It'll cause me, us, to fall on our knees and to worship him. Truly worship him and to confess. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to stand up and it's gone on the, we're going to have it on the screen, but now you've got it on your little card as well. And this is going to bring back memories for some of you, but we're going to stand up. And, you know, standing up isn't spiritual and supernatural, but what they did with creeds and what they did with statements is when you stand up, you're kind of making a statement by standing up as well as the words you say. So I want you to stand up.
and we're going to uh, recite the Apostles' Creed together, uh, remembering what we talked about this morning. So let's go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. How great is our God. Stay standing for a moment and we're just going to pray and I'm going to invite the worship team up. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for that have um, helped us to uh, understand and develop your word and the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel in a way that expresses most importantly who you are, the lengths that you went to for your creation for us. But it glorifies you and lifts you up because you are an amazing, amazingly generous father, a providing father, a committed father, a compassionate father. And Lord, there are times in my life where I really need to remember that and need to be reminded of that. And I thank you that something like this can do that. I thank you that you remind us that you're almighty, that I'm not leaning into a father or a God or circumstance, but that you're almighty, that you're above all things, you're beyond all things. There is none like you. Lord, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you that you're the creator. That as I look at creation and admire creation, as I look at other humans and admire them and myself, I recognize that you're my creator. I want to be reminded to surrender myself to you again and again as a father and as a creator. Because I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has me in his sights, who has us in his sights and guides us always. And we just want to thank you for reminding us of that in Jesus' name. Amen.